Well, good evening and welcome to Steadfast. I am so glad to be here with you tonight as we begin a brand new series. We, we started last night a new series going through the four Gospels and what they tell us about the preparations for Christmas. What Christmas is about. We started with the Gospel of Mark, which talks about the beginning of the good news of Jesus. And we thought about that last night. This series we're doing on Monday nights is a companion series, and we'll be digging into the prophecies behind each of the stories we'll look at on Sunday nights in the Gospels. Now, if you didn't watch last night, you'll be able to still get just as much, I believe, out of tonight. We're going to be looking at God's Word, and that's always good. But if you haven't, maybe go back and check that out. We're going to see these tie together so we see more of how God's Word ties together as one giant picture over the Christmas season kind of fitting as we looked at the big story over the last couple of months and thought about how God works. Well, now we're going to see how God works in the Christmas story and be reminded, as we understand that, we understand more about how God works in each of our lives every single day. Would join me in prayer as we begin tonight. Father, thank you for this day and for this time and your word. Would you help us to be encouraged by it? Would you help us to understand what you're doing better Would you help us as we prepare and we celebrate the good news of your coming into the world, God with us, that you, Father, sent your Son to dwell amongst us and then sent your Holy Spirit that we might have you dwell in us, that we have that relationship, that closeness with you, Lord, that we would see the fullness of what you were doing. We'd be reminded of what you've called us to do, how you've called us to represent your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we get into everything else, would you bear with me for a moment? If you know me, you know I'm a bit of a geek, and so let me just share what I've been up to today. So, of course, preparing for tonight and uh, getting ready to to share this new series with you. But in addition to that, I've been doing some geekery, and uh, that geekery is trying to keep all of our technology up that we use at Little Hills. If you've noticed, we're a very internet-facing church. We have, of course, on, a wonderful online community. Many of you are specifically a part of that. And then and then we have those of us who come in person part of the time and are online part of the time, but we, we use that technology to tie us all together. And when it comes to days like Black Friday or Cyber Monday, each year what I find myself doing is looking for deals for the things that we need in the ministry to make it work for the next year. One of those things that we have to renew every single year is our our hosting that that keeps our website up so we can have the different things that we offer. And so I found myself on Cyber Monday doing a very cyber thing, looking for the best deal. Should we renew the plan we've had for the last few years or should we get a new plan that might provide us with faster access to the website or new features that we could offer. What should we do? And and being the geek that I am, I, I like to do most of it myself. And so I was looking, what can I do to make it all work? Well, that was what was running through my head. But in that, it gets really overwhelming because you think, well, okay, I found this great deal. Maybe you found this in something you're shopping for. I, I found this great deal and I see a lot of what what it does, all these features, maybe it has more bells and whistles than I currently have, and it's at a price that's better than what I'm currently paying. Oh, good, I can save some money for the ministry. But then if, if you're buying a service, there's the question of who. Who am I working with? Who am I signing up for a year of service from? Are they going to provide what I need, or does it just have a lot of what but no who behind it? 
Maybe you've had that experience. You sign up for some kind of service, a, a lawn service. A, a, you sign up for a painter to come out to your house. You you sign up for internet service or cell phone service or whatever it might be, something. And you find out a lot of the stuff sounded really pretty good, but who was behind it? Was the who behind it helpful? Was the who behind it ready to do the things that you were expecting? So that's what I found myself wrestling with. Who am I going to buy from? I ended up going back to the provider that we've used in the past at Little Hills. They had a, a nice Cyber Monday deal, and I signed up for another year, so we're ready for the next year. And I did it because I'd been really pleased with the who behind it in the past. Now, last night we talked about the what of Christmas. What is Christmas about? It's about a beginning, about a beginning of salvation. It's an end to Satan's reign. It's it's a turning point for us. We talked about those things, those what's, but all those come down to who is behind Christmas? What's going on at Christmas? We don't want to forget that. We forget things all the time at Christmas time. I, I forgot to light the Advent wreath, and so I'm going to light it right now. And encourage you, actually, just as a side note, if you want over the Christmas season, get an Advent wreath for your house and do this. You don't have to just wait for Sunday at church to light your Advent wreath. But... It's it's just so nice. Little things like that that we forget. Well, sometimes, as we were talking last night, we forget about what Christmas is about. We really need to come back to who it is about. And so we're going to turn back to the Gospel of Mark for a moment right now to get us started tonight. Let's turn to Mark chapter 1 through 3. Chapter 1, 1 through 3. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Sounds sort of familiar. We've heard these words before. And we talked about part of them last night quite a bit. We're not going to get into that first verse all that much tonight. But... What we see here is a series of prophecies that Mark quotes when he's referring to the coming of the Savior into the world that comes from Isaiah and Malachi. And and in those prophecies, we learn something about the who that's going to do all those what's we were talking about last night. Going to bring salvation, going to end Satan's reign, going to offer us a turning point, a chance for repentance. Who is it, though, that does that? And the first thing we see by the way that Mark frames this, he refers specifically to the prophet Isaiah is we're going to see someone come into the world who's a servant. Jesus comes as a servant to restore. Take a look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. God says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord makes straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. We saw that part of that quoted by Mark. And when Mark quotes a part of that, when he talks about making a path straight, he's expecting that the readers know God's word well enough that they hear that and they're thinking of the whole prophecy. 
It's like giving a reference today. I, I say, well, we're going to look at Isaiah 40, and if you have a Bible or you have a Bible app or you have a Bible website, you, you type in Isaiah 40, you bring it up. Well, the people at the time, they couldn't own the scrolls for the Bible. They didn't have enough money, typically. So what did they do? Well, they, they memorized it. They heard it in synagogue. They remembered it. And then when Mark, for example, says the phrases that we just saw here, any one of them, if he says, for example, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, what do the people think? They think of this whole section here, this turning point in Isaiah, where, where Isaiah goes from the judgment that's to come to the one the Lord is going to send, who's a servant that's going to restore the people. Now, this servant attitude envelops this portion of Mark's gospel and really all of Mark's gospel. We see throughout the gospels in general, Jesus is here to serve. He, he doesn't demand what he should have. He comes to rescue us. So it's fitting that we refer to him here in these servant songs that are going to show up in the rest of Isaiah. And, and if we had unlimited time, I'd just keep reading through Isaiah. If we went through the rest of Isaiah we'd see over and over again this servant that's going to come, the servant who is Jesus. And we'd learn about who Jesus is and what he's going to do and how he's not going to demand what he should. That's what we find in, in this section of Isaiah. Now, as we look at this, though, it's interesting because by invoking these servant metaphors, Mark is doing something else. He, he skips over the genealogy that we see in Matthew and, Mark, and, Matthew and Luke, and, and as he does that, I think he's making a statement. You, you see, if we're going to think of a servant or a slave, in those times, people didn't care about the genealogy of a slave, of a servant. Those, those people weren't significant enough to need to know where they came from. And, and so Mark doesn't go into the big royal genealogy that we see in Matthew and Luke because he's not trying to make the point of Jesus's kinghood when he starts. He wants us to think about how humble Jesus is. So he starts with, this section here, this incredibly comforting section of Isaiah, that God comes after the judgment. He doesn't abandon his people. He doesn't demand more of what he should. What does he do? He comes to serve. And, and I think this also tells something. I, I love what Stephen Miller observes about this passage in Mark. When we think about what Mark says, Mark is referring to both Isaiah and Malachi, but he only refers to Isaiah. He says, according to Isaiah the prophet. Why does he put Isaiah first? Why does he really want us to be thinking of Isaiah? And Miller observes that while we look at the prophecies in Malachi and we find the coming one that the Lord sends, we find the coming one whom the Lord sends to judge. But in Isaiah, we read primarily of the one who comes to restore as a servant. And and both of those are true of Jesus. But as, as Mark leads out here, what he wants us to be thinking about is this offer that Jesus offers each and every one of us to, to, to take on our sin and to restore us. What's the first thing we should know about Jesus? It's that he comes not as the one who is entitled, even though he is, but as the one who takes on the sins of the world. Why do we start there? Why does God turn from all the wrong that people have done in the Old Testament and go straight to this comfort, even before the judgment's actually been experienced? It's because God knows that, that when we get beaten down, even when it's, it's our, of our own devices, we deserve to be beaten down. We deserve to be in a broken place. We deserve to be rejected. 
what do we do? We just spiral out of control then. We just keep falling further and further away from him. We need someone to pull us out of the swamp and back into his presence. One thing that God definitively is not is Job's friends. We think about Job's friends, and what do they do? They come, and, and at first they're kind of there with Job, trying to help him out, trying to just sit there with him, just being present with him. But as soon as words start coming out of their mouths, they start beating up Job. Well, no wonder you're suffering, Job. You must have done this. You must have done that. You, you clearly are just this no-good, filthy sinner. And, and so, therefore, the fact that you, your kids have been killed and all your possessions taken away and you're lying in a pit, scraping sores with a pot shard, you know, you deserve it. Does that help Job? No, it, it doesn't help Job. It's not what Job needs to hear. And God later on makes it clear to Job's friends. That's not what he needed to hear. Well, God isn't like that. What does God do when we're beaten down and we start to realize our sin and we start to realize that essentially we are Job, we're laying in that pit unable to do anything for ourselves? God comes as a servant, starts to clean up the wounds and to pull us out of the pit. That's what God does. When Mark tells us about who Jesus is, he's telling us, here's a servant who's ready to serve. He shouldn't because he's so much greater than any of us. And yet, He's ready to serve you and me. All, all we have to do is turn to him. But as we're going to be reminded in that next few verses that we looked at last night in Mark, and I encourage you to look at them. If you haven't, just look through those first 16 or so verses of Mark. Is, is, as we see those, there is a time that we need to respond in. Author of Hebrews says in chapter 4 of his letter, he says, Therefore, while... The promise of entertaining his rest still stands. Let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. He says, while the promise still stands, there is the offer of the gospel, the, the servant attitude that Jesus brings. We're invited into it. It's a free gift. We can respond. And that's what Christmas reminds us of. The, the who is someone who is willing to serve, to be there with us. But we need to do it. We don't want to miss out on it. Because the second truth that we find in, in this introduction of who is Jesus, who is it that we're celebrating at Christmas, is Jesus isn't just the servant. He is also the judge. That, that other side we see in Malachi is true as well. And so it is, that, for example, in verse 7 of the Gospel of Mark, the, of the very first chapter there, as we run into John the Baptist for the first time, he says he's not even fit to untie the sandals of Jesus. So yes, in a way we see Jesus portrayed as someone who's a slave, who's unworthy. And yet John says, but I'm even lower than a slave because Jesus is so righteous, I shouldn't even touch his feet. He's so holy. And he's coming. And, and we talked last night about how John calls the people to repentance. And, and in this set of prophecies we see here, we're seeing a call to one who is humble and willing to receive us and, and to, to love us and to be with us, even though we're not worthy. And yet, there's the flip side of the coin if we choose not to, that he is one who is holy and who is a judge. And when we think about that reference that we see in the Gospel of Mark to Malachi, and it says that there's one who is coming, what does Mark have in mind? Why is he referring to Malachi chapter 3? He's referring to Malachi chapter 3 because in that one, we're told the servant of the Lord is coming, that he's making the way for him. And yet when he's coming, the question is, 
and who is possibly, possibly worthy to actually be in his presence. The answer is no one. No one is worthy to be in his presence. And, and Malachi says this at a different time than Isaiah is talking about the humility of the suffering servant. You see, Isaiah prophesies as the judgment is coming upon Israel. Malachi comes several hundred years later. The judgments come. God has offered his compassion, restored the people of Israel, at least some of them to the land. And yet, what have they done? They're, they're, they're going back to their old ways. They're, they're worshiping other gods. They're mistreating the poor. They're doing all these things. They, they've forgotten that God has shown them mercy. And so Malachi says, here's a problem. I've shown you mercy, but but you think you're ready now because I've shown you mercy. But you haven't really turned to me. You haven't really repented. And you haven't understood that I am so holy that the only reason that you're standing here, the only reason that I've restored you is because I love you, not because you deserved it. Yet the people just sort of ignore it like we often do. As we find ourselves in God's presence, as we read God's word, we can start to build up pride in ourselves thinking, well, I must be so worthy because I'm a recipient of this. I'm a part of God's people. Aren't I special? And what we should remember is, well, the only reason we're special is because God loves us. Not not because of anything we've done. Sort of like if you were putting up decorations maybe over this past weekend and, and you pull out the old Christmas lights and... One of the things that's so hard when we pull out the Christmas lights is it seems like inevitably one of the strands doesn't work. And maybe you've had that experience. I know I've done this many times. You start going through and pulling out each bulb and putting in a new bulb and trying to figure out if you can find that one bulb that's causing the strand not to work. And and you keep going over them and, and maybe it's a really long strand and it seems like you just can't figure out what in the world's wrong. And and then maybe it's multiple bulbs that are out. And so as you take one out at a time, unless you replace them all, maybe you put one back in that's defective, but you still haven't gotten to the other one that's defective. And it's just shut down the whole light strand. It's so frustrating and it's so overwhelming to figure out, how am I going to get this strand to work? But imagine then that you have a brand new box sitting there of lights. And and it's right there. It's working. And yet you keep fighting with that old strand. I've done that plenty of times. I think I'm going to get this old strand to work. Well, so often in our lives, we we keep trying to take the old strand of our own self-righteous deeds and trying to plug a few new bits of righteousness into it, trying to get the strand to light up. What we need to see is that God's offering us a brand new box that actually works and will always work. And we need to decide, am I going to keep fighting with this old strand that actually when it comes down to it, the squirrel chewed an end and there's no fixing it, but I haven't noticed that yet. Am I going to take the brand new strand that God's offered me that he guarantees for eternity? people of Israel, the reason Malachi had to give that prophecy is that, that they had they had thought that, okay, God's repaired my strand. I'm going to go back to fixing it. And they were ignoring the fact that God was saying, no, take down that old broken strand, that, that worn strand. Take this brand new strand that's from me. Turn your hearts towards me because as long as you're trying to plug into your own righteousness, the lights are always going to go out. Is that what we're doing? Malachi chapter 3. Let's actually look at what Malachi says here. He says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, and like a fuller's soap. Who can stand? 
He uses this image of refining silver. It's such a fascinating image, and, and I don't understand a lot about metallurgy, but essentially what they do in the ancient world to, to purify silver, they, they'd mine it, and it'd have a ton of impurities, and it'd mostly be other worthless metals or undesirable metals and, and a lot of lead in it, but they really wanted that silver. So what would they do? They, they'd heat it up, and apparently you'd, you'd use a billows to blow over the metal, and the silver would move off to one side, and you, you'd pull it out. But you'd have to heat it up and, and destroy the, the, the solid thing that had existed before, melt off what you really wanted, and then, and then throw away the, the waste. And what Malachi is saying here is that when the servant comes, don't don't be so excited, you people who have turned over and over again away from the Lord and think, well, we're so special. God's going to come in and see us, our lives, our rocks that we are, and think, isn't this wonderful? No, he's going to come in and he's going to take those rocks and he's going to throw them into the fire and purify them. Eliminate all the dross. Eliminate all the waste. Now, what we saw from that first passage that Mark wants us to start with, that wants us to be thinking about, is Jesus is there to offer us in his in his servant form that he comes into this world, that that he's willing to ensure that we go through that process and be restored, that, that he may work on us through life. And sometimes it can be even painful as he sanctifies us, but he's going to pull us all the way through it. Those lights aren't going to go out. What happens if we think that we're so great on, on our own? Uh, we're just a bunch of waste metal that's going to be discarded. When the judgment comes, when the refining fire comes, and Christmas is joyful as it is, it's actually a reminder that there's a need for judgment to come because it's a reminder that the world's broken and that God is holy. What are we going to be? Are we going to be the silver that's separated out and treasured, or are we going to be those that are thrown off into the waste pile? Malachi is challenging the, the Old Testament people, but now Jesus has come. And if we say, well, Jesus has come, and, and I like to go to church at Christmas, and I like to put up decorations, and, and, and I'll pray every once in a while, and generally try to live a pretty good life, and so I, I'm pretty good, and God's going to like me someday when judgment comes and say, aren't you great? We're in for a rude awakening. But if we say, well, I can't make myself silver, I'm just a bunch of lead. I need God. Then we realize that God is not only the holy, almighty judge, the righteous one whose, whose feet could never be touched even by the lowest of the low because we're so unworthy. He's also the loving servant who gives himself for us. It's a choice of which way do we want to encounter him. And that's what Malachi is challenging us to. Here's something interesting. The, the rabbis of the time often combined Malachi chapter 3 with Exodus 23 because in that we see very similar language. Notice what God says back in Exodus 23. He says, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. God to call the people out of Egypt and he challenges them. Are you going to follow my, my angels? Are you going to follow the messengers I've sent? Are you going to follow what I'm calling you to do? Or are you going to go your own way? Are you going to keep trying to repair that light string? Because if, if you turn... And you seek me, what am I going to do? I am going to be your very best advocate that you could ever have. When we talk about judgment, sometimes it, 
we get so frozen up thinking, God's really against me. God's so holy and righteous. He's just angry at me. Maybe, maybe we've talked about that, all that servant imagery, but that must be for someone else. If you're there tonight, I have to think what it sort of feels like is, is that experience that we've all had it presumably while we're out driving along on the road and, and a police car pulls in behind us and we, we look down at the speedometer and we see we're driving the right speed and we think, well, did I signal it the last time I turned? Yeah, I think I did. Uh, have I been slowing at a nice pace when I come up to stoplights? Am I, am I staying nice and straight in my lane? I, I, I'm not weaving at all. Some, sometimes I'll get a little goofy when I'm driving and, and if there's no one around and the Christmas music's playing or something, I might kind of intentionally weave a little bit and I think, oh, did I do that with that police officer there? No, I, d- I didn't do that. Okay, everything is fine. And, and yet we feel nervous. We, we, we feel like we have this judge staring at us and we think, what's he going to do? And whether we, on the one hand, realize we're terribly guilty or we think, well, I don't think I'm doing anything wrong. We start to feel just overcome and it starts to become even hard to drive straight because we think, oh, he's going to do something. He's going to do something. Why do we fear that? Well, we think, well, maybe I did something and didn't even realize it. A few years ago, I was driving along and I was sure I was going the speed limit or actually below the speed limit because I was stuck in traffic. I wasn't going anywhere and the police officer pulls behind me and I go through that whole process and think, well, I can't can't be doing anything wrong. Then his lights turned on and I kept going and I realized, no, he wanted me to pull over. So I pulled over and it turned out I didn't realize it, but my blinker, which I just gotten repaired, had gone out again and he noticed that the light was out and he was very kind. He he just told me to go get it fixed. I didn't even know it. I couldn't even see it because it course was the blinker behind me you don't see your blinkers when you're driving and so I was unaware but I think that kind of builds up that fear we we fear that fear we feel when we're encountering a judge someone who has power over us and and we can run into that with God and rightly so because God is holy and unlike the police officer who may find us not doing anything wrong at all we have so many blinker bulbs out in our lives. No matter what we do, we're going to have some more out. We uh, That strand of lights is just there sizzling away. It's not even just out. It's getting ready to catch a fire on the house because it's in such bad shape. We, we can't do anything on our own. So when we start to think and really meditate on God as the holy judge, it should make us nervous. And yet, what does Paul say in Romans 13 about judges? Let's take a look there. It's, it's helpful. He says, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of who, excuse me, would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Now you say, okay, so that was supposed to comfort me somehow, Tim, but it didn't find didn't seem to be very comforting to me because you just mentioned that no matter what I do, I'm going to always have the blinker out. I'm going to get pulled over. So in other words, I should fear, right? Well, notice what Paul's saying there. If you are found right by the judge, you shouldn't fear. Well, how do we get right with the judge? Well, Paul answers that question too in 2 Corinthians 5.21. Tells us about what Jesus came to do. And he says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. What do we need when 
when the police officer is following us and maybe we're going a little too fast or we forgot to use the blinker or blinkers out well wouldn't it be nice if instead the best driving instructor the state highway patrol person who knows all the rules down to the t knows the little minutiae that no one even reads in the driver's manual if the police officer saw him or her driving instead if our car could just be replaced for the moment with the car of the world's perfect driver that's what god does for us he he takes us as we're weaving and careening and everything's wrong with what we're doing and he looks at himself god the father as he judges looks at his son the the perfect one who did everything right and attributes his righteousness to us all we need to do is respond to the servant so that's why it's so important as we think about the what of christmas and and, and recenter on that that we remember the who behind it so all we need to do is turn to one who who, yes, will come. Jesus will return as a fearsome and holy judge. But he invites us to come and know him as the one who is the suffering servant who has taken on our sin for us. As we do, when that judgment comes, we have nothing to fear because who's going to be looked at, whose record is going to be examined? The only one whose record has nothing, not a single blemish in it. The, the, the who of Christmas is a who offers hope. The who of Christmas is the one who who comes and invites us, yes, the one who ultimately will judge, but invites us to be made right before he judges and to experience the brightest of Christmas lights as he provides that strand that is perfect and permanent. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, so often as we come before you, we, we run at risk of of thinking that we already have too much going for us, that, that you'll look at us and, and love what you see in us. And, and so it's going to be great that when you ultimately judge us, and when we fall into that trap, Lord, we, we know that you need to, to remind us of all the, the areas where we're struggling. But Lord, what, what a joy it is as we, we come before you tonight that you never leave us in that place. You also remind us that you are the one who who loves us. And so, as Jesus dwelt on this earth, what an amazing thing, Father, that your Son would dwell amongst us as a servant, as one who who didn't demand what was entitled to him, but instead took what was meant for us. We know that when he returns to judge, that when we turn, as we have spent our lives turning to him, even if we still mess up, it's not about getting everything right, it's about getting the who right loving him, following him as our Lord. As we do that, he will look to his own record and judge us by that instead. And because of that, we can be those who do not fear because we know we have your love and we have your hope. And what a wonderful thing it is that we can pray this in Jesus' precious name. I hope this was an encouragement to you tonight. It's a little different than what we normally do on Monday nights, trying to link these two series together. But I think it's kind of interesting, isn't it? To, to, to see, oh yeah, here's this familiar passage we see in the gospel and what it's saying. But those prophecies, there's so many wonderful prophecies in the Old Testament. What can we learn about Jesus? And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be thinking about that more. And I'd encourage you, share this first video if it's been an encouragement to you. You can help someone else who's trying to sort out what is it that we're celebrating this Christmas season. And remind them we're celebrating the one who came and is with us. 
We're going to be doing a lot of that this season at Little Hills. We have so much going on, and you can find out about all of it at littlehills.church slash Christmas. And as you go there to that website, you'll see the details of our sermon series. You'll you'll see our Christmas Eve details, our Christmas faith tree details coming up in two weeks, and Blue Christmas is coming up this Friday. It's just action-packed. So many things to help us prepare our hearts for what God is doing not just at Christmas, but every single day of the year. Because every single day, we are the recipients of the best Christmas gift. And so I hope that you'll join us for a bunch of those things. And, and, And of course, everyone's busy, I know, and so you probably can't be to all of them, but but do try to figure out which ones you can. And I, I do hope for anyone who might be struggling with anything this time of year, whether it's grief or sorrow or just uncertainty, consider joining us for Blue Christmas this Friday at 7 p.m. I really do think that will be an encouragement. It's going to be a time to, to think about the one we've been talking about. We're going to actually look at the next part of that Isaiah passage we looked at tonight and, and think about how that is assuring us in the uncertainty we may feel at Christmas, that, that Christmas is is perfectly compatible with our sorrows and griefs and uncertainties and fears. Because God came into the world to fix those. I do hope you'll join me for that. Next week, we'll be looking at the Gospel of Matthew and the prophecies behind it on Sunday night and Monday night. So I hope you'll join us for that as well. If there's any way I can be praying for you this week, I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to shoot me an email at the email address on screen. Leave a comment in the comments below. I always love hearing from you. And as we prepare and we move towards the Christmas season all the more, I hope you have a very merry preparation this Advent season. Have a blessed week.